Well, my heart is very full right now. I want to thank each one of you uh, for your participation today. Thanks especially to those who work so hard to lead us in worship here on the platform. Um, this is one of my favorite services every year, and so uh, thank you so much once again. Well, we turn now to the scriptures and to our Lord's last words. Now, in our society, we attribute a great deal of significance to a person's last words. It's one of the reasons why we huddle around the deathbed of a loved one. We want to make sure that we don't miss the last thing that they have to say. Before a criminal is executed, they're always given an opportunity to offer some final words. And even in our movies, the hero always gets to monologue before he passes away. It's thought that a person's last words will offer some special insight into the character of that person. Maybe we'll learn about their spiritual destiny as they talk about what they are seeing and hearing. In fact, back in the Puritan era, they believed that the dying man was somehow halfway between heaven and earth. And if you listen to their dying words, you might just get a glimpse into the life to come. Or maybe the person will have a confession to make just before they die so they can pass with a clear conscience. We also look to a person's last words to find out whether they will affirm or reject the belief system that they held in life. And so a person's last words are very important to us. According to the scriptures, our Lord made seven final statements from the cross. And these seven statements are some of the most precious words that Jesus ever spoke. And these words really do give us great insight into the man that Jesus was and is. And very briefly this evening, I want to survey all seven of these final statements of our Lord in the order in which he spoke them. The first of his sayings is recorded in Luke 23, verse 34. You'll see that in your bulletin outline. His first statement was a prayer to his father. And he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, many commentators believe that Jesus uttered these words even as the nails were being driven into his hands and feet. And in these words, we see our Lord's willingness to be our great high priest. He offers an acceptable blood sacrifice for sins, namely himself. And then he makes intercession for those for whom the sacrifice was made. Our Lord was also exemplifying his own teachings with these words. You'll recall from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, here our Lord is embodying his own teaching, praying that God would forgive those who were killing him. Then the second statement from our Lord is found in Luke 23, verse 43. Here our Lord is speaking to the repentant thief being crucified beside him. And he says this to the thief, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now think of that. Our Lord is now at his weakest point. He is just hours away from death. 
And somehow he manages to muster enough strength to extend his grace to a repentant criminal. Here we see our Lord's eagerness to save and his ability to do so. With just a word, in fact, our Lord throws open the gates of heaven to this dying criminal. And then the third saying, it's recorded in John 19, verses 26 and 27. As our Lord's death is drawing closer, he moves his gaze away from that thief on the cross, and he looks down to the witnesses of his crucifixion. And there below him, he notices his mother Mary standing there, tears flowing down her face. And our Lord says this to her. He says, woman, behold your son. But he's not talking about himself. No, he's directing her eyes to the man standing next to her down below, the Apostle John. And then he looks at the Apostle John and he directs his eyes to Mary. And and he says, behold your mother. And what Jesus was doing there was taking care of his mother. See, as he looked at his his mother Mary, he he immediately took pity. He knew that she had already lost her husband Joseph. Now she's about to lose her firstborn son, and he's thinking about what will become of her after his death. So he makes provision for her need. The Apostle John will look after her now. My friends, in these first three sayings of our Lord, we see his compassion on full display. Here he is at the very brink of death, and he is still completely fixated on the needs of others. If ever there was a time when he would have a right to be thinking just about him, surely this would be the time, but he's not doing it. What he is doing instead is extending grace to a dying criminal. He's forgiving his killers. He's looking after the practical affairs of his mother. My friends, was there ever a man like Jesus? This man was incredible. His compassion knew no limit. We see it exemplified here on the cross. Well, now we move to the next two sayings of our Lord. These reveal the depths of his anguish. So he was showing compassion on the cross, but also great pain. His fourth saying is found in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Another prayer to his father. And here he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just before this moment, the scriptures tell us that darkness had descended upon that crucifixion scene. And that was God's way of explaining to all of the witnesses that the cross was a place of divine judgment. Darkness often signifies judgment in the scriptures. And I believe that these words from Jesus mark that very moment when the full weight of God's judgments began pressing down upon his shoulders. This is when he felt it at its fullest. But you understand, my friends, that he wasn't bearing God's judgment for any sins that he had committed. No, our Lord was a man without sin. Instead, he was feeling the weight of God's judgment for our sins. We read about this in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Again, it reads, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And the New Testament scriptures also speak to this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And 1 Peter 2.24 says Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed So Jesus really was a God-forsaken man on that cross. But not because he had sinned, it was because we have all sinned. And he was volunteering to be a substitutionary, sin-bearing sacrifice for us. He had volunteered to allow God's unmixed wrath against our sin to fall upon his shoulders so that God's justice toward our sins could be satisfied and we could be redeemed, so that by his stripes we could be healed. And friends, this wasn't easy for our Lord to do. It was almost more than he could bear. And that's why he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? An expression of extreme spiritual anguish. But then we turn to the fifth saying, found in John 19, verse 28. This one is only two words long. He said, I thirst. Now, friends, great as as the spiritual sufferings of Christ were, we must not forget that his physical sufferings were also very great. Christ was the Son of God, but He was also the Son of Man, fully human in every way. And as a man, He could experience physical pain. And He did. His body endured beatings and floggings. Nails were run through His hands and feet. Crown of thorns was forced upon His head. And he had received no food, no water, and no sleep from the Thursday night that he was arrested all the way through to Friday afternoon, the moment that he was hanging on the cross. Our Lord was in great pain. He was thirsty on the cross. As we consider these two statements together, one expressing our Lord's spiritual anguish and the other expressing his physical anguish, I hope you again see how much you are loved. God loves you so much that he was willing to part with his son to send him down to earth to suffer these horrors for your sake. And God the son loves you so much that he volunteered to take this on, to go, to give up all of his glories, as Philippians chapter 2 says, to empty himself. To come taking the form of a man and dying the death of the cross. See how much you are loved. And knowing how much God loves you, will you not love him in return? Now the final two sayings. These reveal the greatness of our Lord's triumph. So he was in anguish at the cross, but he was also victorious on that cross. Look at John 19.30, the sixth of his seven sayings. This one is three words in English, it is finished, but only one word in the original text, tetelestai. This is a word that would be written across a bill. It meant debt paid in full, no more work to be done. Friends, Jesus offered these words at the very end of his life 
to let us all know that he had truly done it all. He had been fully obedient to his father's will. He had fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy related to his first advent. He had preached every sermon there was to preach, performed every miracle there was for him to perform. And now the work of redemption was being completed. It was all finished. And friends, aren't you grateful to know that the work of salvation is a finished work? Someone wisely said that the, the difference between Christianity and all other world religions is just a difference of two letters. Every other religion on the planet is based on the word do, D-O. You've got to do something to capture the attention of God or the God's. You've got to do something to atone for your own sins. You've got to grovel before God. You've you've got to flog yourself or, or beat yourself. You've got to perform a series of good works that you hope will somehow counteract all of your sinful deeds. You've got to do something to make God look at you with pleasure. But the Christian faith is based on the word done, D O N. Everything necessary to secure our redemption was done by our Lord Jesus. He merited every good work for us. He paid the full penalty of our sins, and he offers it to us absolutely free. All we do is have faith in him and repentance. It is finished. Now, the seventh saying, very last words of our Lord from the cross, found in Luke 23, verse 46. Another prayer to God. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he began his time on the cross with a prayer. At the midpoint, he prayed again. And now at the end of his time, he prays. This final prayer reminds us that no one took our Lord's life from him. He gave it of his own accord. And he chose the moment when he would die. When our Lord deemed that the moment was right, he released his spirit back to his Father, where it would await the resurrection of his body on Easter Sunday. Friends, as believers, we share in our Lord's triumph. When he died, all of our sins died and were buried with him. When he rose again on Easter Sunday, we were given the opportunity to be raised to new life. And one day, we will even experience the resurrection of our bodies when they will become just like our Lord's glorious body. We share in his triumph. We will celebrate all of that in two days. For now, we have looked at the seven last words of our Lord from the cross. Seven, the number of perfection coming from our perfect Lord. And in these seven sayings, we see the compassion of Jesus. We see the anguish of Jesus on that cross. And then we also see his victory, his triumph over sin. My friends, as we contemplate these truths and how we ought to respond to it, can we close in a word of prayer? Our Lord, we do thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him into the world. 
Thank you, Jesus, for coming. We thank you for his perfect life. We thank you for for his willingness to endure the suffering and death of the cross. Lord, may the story of the cross never grow old to us. May we never lose our sense of wonder at what you did for us. And Lord, might we respond to you in love and in faith, not as as a means of earning your favor, but just as expressions of gratitude for all that you did for us. Lord, your Son is a remarkable Savior. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen.